Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Thursday morning, the 29th of June. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. RTE spent five hours in front of the media committee yesterday explaining a scandal that has left the public disgusted with the way it has been hiding how it paid Ryan Tuberty hundreds of thousands of euro on top of his already obscene salary. Trust is difficult to regain. Step by step, we will work to rebuild that trust. We will not flinch in this regard. We know that this will be challenging, but we are committing to doing so in order that confidence in Ireland's national public service broadcaster can be restored. We are committed to providing you with as much detail as possible, and we wish to be as open and frank as we can. Sean Nirali, the chair of the RTE board, explaining. RTE spent... Five hours explaining. The committee hearing ended with the board saying it has confidence in how it operates. Yes, that's our job and we fulfilled our job. We brought this to light and um, within that we see that even in our own process as the board, as opposed to the executive board, that you know, there are areas where we can tighten up on as well. But I, I I think that this has shook everybody. Um, I'm, I'm actually proud of what we did in terms of bringing it to light. But questions remain for the board. This is an opportunity. Put your hands up and yell. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say you're telling lies on that, but there's someone telling lies. Independent TD Peter Fitzpatrick, who joins us now. Peter Fitzpatrick, good morning and thanks for joining us. You obviously weren't pulling any punches when you got to question the RTA executives yesterday. What did you make of their answers? Michael, I, I, honestly, in, I'm 13 years of TD and I have to be honest with you, I was amazed. I, 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 I was so amazed yesterday. You know, there were seven representatives there from RTE and the whole seven of them were trying to completely distance themselves from the under-the-care payment that was, that was given to Ryan Tuberty. I've never seen so many people hide in my life. Like, you know, the renovations over the last week, it, it's, it's unacceptable. I said that yesterday. The amount of damage that it done to O&E, it, it, as I said, it's, it's, it's unacceptable. It's embarrassing. 
no credibility, no clarity, and they both the trust and confidence. Like, you know, like, it's all to ease fault that they under the three hundred and forty-five thousand uh, providing property. And in fairness, and I, I said it yesterday, like it's a pity that uh, D. Forbes, the, the former general director of OTE, wasn't there because, in fairness, she was thrown under the bus there yesterday. There were seven OTE representatives there yesterday, and every one of them said they knew absolutely nothing about the payment to Ryan Tuberty. That everything was done to uh, D. Forbes. Uh, the, the, the only one yeah, that, that said that yesterday uh, was the commercial uh, finance, uh, that was the one there, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Geraldine O'Leary. Geraldine O'Leary. Mm. She said that, uh, that uh, she was told by D. Forbes to write out a cheque. And like, people, people are saying that there was two cheques written out, uh, one, one in the 25th of May and one in the 20th of July. And they were written out each for 115,380 gross and that netted down to 75000 She said she was told by Dave Forbes to write these two checks out. And, and she'd done what she was told, and nobody else knew about them. And then all of a sudden we heard about this, this, this Barto account. And she didn't this, know what the checks were for? No, she, she, when, when I even looked at the Grand Thornton. They done an audit there, right? And even if you, if you go to look at the name that, that's there, it's, it's, it's there as, as, consult, as, as consultancy fees. Even then, like, you know, uh, the, the name of Ryan Tubbs, the agency, there was, there, was, there was nothing really there. And, like, you know, like, like, if I was in the company and my, my financial... You can't accept it. Like, writing a cheque out for 115380 yeah. in May and July, like, you know, like, like a child wouldn't write it out. You have to find information about it. Mm. Well, you have responsibility it. for it, so you'd think you would ask questions, even if um, God Almighty... Uh, asked you to write, write out the cheque and never mind the Director General of RTE who I'm sure is even more important than God Almighty. Well, the thing I, I yesterday was uh, I questioned the most of them yesterday and the RTE shouldn't be the same him. I asked the question did, did anyone, get, anyone get on? Did anyone even communicate? Like, Dee Fobbs was uh, Director General from 2016. She's been there a long time. And if you look at most, most of these uh, OTE representatives, yes, they've all been there for three, four, five years. So they, they, they've known these firms for the last number of years. And, and it, 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 it's wrong. Mm. And the only, I did ask the question there, yes, there was, they, they said they've done a routine audit back in March 2022 and the certain, uh, identified certain payments of, uh, of understated by 75000 a year. And then also discovered then there was, there was, there was, a, there was a commercial partner there, Reynolds, and Reynolds has agreed to pay the seventy-five thousand to uh, to Ryan Tuberty, and they paid one payment in twenty twenty, and then all of a sudden they turned around and they did not renew the second one because uh, we all know business did collapse there. But uh, but with, with OT uh, done a guarantee and underwriting, and they, they, they said to uh, Noel Kelly, who's uh, the agent for uh, Ryan Tuberty, that they, and, and he has he, he harassed one D Fobs for the last it wasn't six or seven months that he wants his payment. And all of a sudden, he got his payment. And then we discovered then there was extra payments done in 2017 to 2019. And that's under investigation, another 120000 So that means that Ryan Tobity received an extra 345000 for the last five years. And honestly, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see this in a, in a, in a, in a movie. Hmm. It, 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 and the thing is, we get an opportunity as that. Michael, I'll be honest, Michael, we all make mistakes. There's no problem whatsoever. But there's no way I believe yesterday that seven members of OTE yesterday said that they knew nothing about it and that Dave Fogg was the main woman. And then we discovered there yesterday 
uh, after after questioning that, that that she was asked default was asked by the chairperson to resign on the, on the, on the 16th of June, and, and, and then all of a sudden uh, when they asked to resign then last Friday the 24th, and then she she oh, sorry she suspended on the 24th, mm. and then she resigned on the 23rd. Like, why did they do that there? Because they knew that they, that that they were coming up in front of the. Mm. Of, 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 well, of, they did. Of, of they the didn't meeting. have to accept the resignation, which would have required D Forbes to uh, appear before your committee yesterday. We heard the chair of RTE tell you and the other members of uh, the media committee that the board has confidence in itself. Uh, you. I take it, don't agree. You said if the seven people in front of you yesterday worked for you, they wouldn't be working for you tomorrow. You'd sack them. Uh, would you have confidence in the board of RTE to manage an under-10s football team? Michael, uh, <laughs> Michael I wouldn't have, Michael. Uh, Adrian Lynch, who is, uh, is the deputy director at the moment, right? Uh, he, he's, been there for, he's been with RTE for the last five years and ten months. He came from, he was a director of audience channel and marketing. And he asked him a question there yesterday. I said, you're in there now and you're the acting uh, director general. I said, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to do something in four weeks and six weeks. They're sitting back and maybe uh, uh, let the audience do the work. But he's going to just sit there and do absolutely nothing. And I, I, I can't understand that. He's got an opportunity of getting a, a top, maybe the top job in OTE. And he's just sitting there and have to do nothing. I, I just can't understand that. And uh, some of the questions we asked, Michael, was, was, was on me, and they were afraid to answer. I, I don't know what's wrong. And they seem to, they seem to, in my opinion, they seem to be guides. Like, you know, whether they, met, whether they were locked in a room for a week together and come out with the same answers, I don't know what actually happened to the answer. But it was, I was so poor, and, and the people I really feel sorry for, there's 1,800 people employed by uh, OTE. Mm. Uh, even there last week, there was 200 of the journalists and members of, of, of staff I, I, I say there, uh, uh, you know, Striking, you want to remember the call, given over OT. Yeah, protest, yeah. Hmm. So, something has to be done. There's no confidence whatsoever in OT. And I think yesterday, sending them seven people in there yesterday, even matters worse. And I, you know, I can tell you, it's a pity these fobs are there. Mm. Because the bottom line is, will we ever get the truth? Will we ever get the answers? Will D Forbes ever come up in front of any committee? I don't think so. Well, you and, believe that D Forbes was thrown under a bus? I do, Michael. I, I, there's something seriously wrong there at the moment. Is why did they, why did they lie? First of all, first of all, they told us that uh, that she was asked to resign on the 21st of June. Mm. And then we discovered yesterday that she was asked to go on the 16th of June. Mm. Like, that, that, to me, that, that's wrong. And even even looking at the situation there, the story keeps changing as well. There's a few stories that keep changing. This came to light at the end of March. Uh, was the first thing that we heard from RCA. Then we were told uh, it came to light on St Patrick's Day, and then yesterday we heard it came to light at uh, the beginning of March. Uh, do you believe that? That there is any connection between Ryan Tuberty stepping down as the host of the Late Late Show and this scandal? Michael, there has to be, Michael. If you, if you look, if you look in March, I, uh, I think, I think an awful lot of people in OT knew what was happening with, 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 Mike, with, with Ryan Tuberty, and I'll tell you the reason why. And I, I asked him yesterday. I, 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 I asked him yesterday, Adrian Lynch. I asked him one question. I asked him, was Ryan Tuberty, was that the biggest job in OTE? I said, and he, would, he wouldn't say yes or no. Now, four or five people who was, who was tipped to take that job, I, I can't mention the names in case I get myself a job with it, but we all know who they are. 
Like, it, it, Michael, you're a broadcaster there in, 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 in LMFM. I'm sure you're very ambitious. But if you've got an opportunity to maybe get a, a, a top-class job, you take it. To me, uh, uh, the job the job with the Late Late Show, to me, it's the biggest it's the biggest broadcasting job in the country. I think you know, Ryan Tomedy and and uh, Pat Kenny and Gabe Owen, they're, they're probably the most recognised people involved in broadcasting. Like, they, they, like, and the, these people, and, and, and maybe you might come out, but there's something wrong at the moment. Is, like, these, these people are ambitious people, and they're, they're, they're falling and falling and falling. All of a sudden, nobody's seen that they want to have Ryan Tomedy's job. Because I, I do believe that, that a lot of people knew about the situation behind somebody. And, and Michael, I know over the next number of years or months, whatever it is, this will come out. And I'm really, really am disappointed it is. And, and I did ask a question there yesterday. Is, is Ryan Tuberty under contract? Now, Ryan Tuberty's contract expired on the 31st of May. That was, that was his TV and radio contract. And there were in, in negotiations to just to, see, uh, to do the contract to do just with the radio. But we did ask the question yesterday. He's, uh, at the moment, it, it, it's to do with it, uh, do with the editor or whoever is up the program. At the moment, is that uh, they don't want Ryan Tuberty on board. Then Ryan Tuberty is getting paid. We don't know much he's getting paid, and we, uh, there's, there's something wrong here. At the moment is, mm. and I think I think like I, I guarantee you, Michael, if if LMFM suspended you, Michael, I don't know what they'd pay you or not pay you, but there's something. Well, they'd have to wrong. pay. They'd have, well, they'd have to pay me because uh, I work for LMFM. Ryan Tuberty didn't work for RTE. Uh, I, I don't think Ryan Tuberty ever did anything else. This is just one of the most peculiar things that has been going on for years in RTE, where people work for them and they let on that they don't. RTE lets on that they don't work for them and the people working for them let on that they don't work for them. They call themselves self-employed uh, and they get agents or whoever, but they have contracts then. When the contract runs out, obviously, the employee has no rights because they weren't an employee. Uh, but there's an awful lot more to that, uh, which is to do uh, with uh, it's much cheaper for the employer, much cheaper for RTE because uh, there's less cost in paying somebody uh, directly and then it's up to them to deal with their taxes and so on. It's much cheaper as well because they don't have to play employers' PRSI. Uh, and they don't have holidays and sick days and other things like that as entitlements. Uh, and then the contractor can go away and they can say, uh, well, first of all, I'm self-employed, so I only pay the reduced rate of PRSI, uh, and uh, I have a lot of expenses. I employ people, uh, which some of these RTE contractors do because they're companies and they have staff. Uh, who I don't know what the staff could do for somebody who has nothing else to do but go to work in RTE. Uh, they do staff training. Uh, they have expenses of all sorts. Uh, and the whole thing is really just a whole load of baloney. Can I ask you a question, Michael? If your contract ended in the 34th... I don't have a contract. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I'm like anybody in any job. I'm a PAYE employee because I work for LMFM. If I was to tell you, Peter Fitzpatrick, I don't work for LMFM, you'd say, get off the stage. You've been there for 20 years. Of course you work for LMFM. The same way people listening now are going, what do you mean Ryan Tuberty didn't work for RTE? Of course he worked for RTE. He did the Late Late Show for the last... 10 or 15 years or whatever it was uh, and he was on the radio every morning at 9 o'clock of course he worked for RTE he worked for RTE but they let on he didn't they let on he was a, a self-employed person who they'd contracted to do this work well, Michael I have to agree with you because Michael it, it, it's contract finished on the 31st of May 
So if your contract uh, stopped with, with, with LMFM or whatever you want for at the moment, is, that means you, you, you don't get paid. Now, I know that, that, that he's in negotiations with OTE over the radio contract, but why is OTE paying him if he's not an employee of, of, of OTE? And if, if he's no contract, you shouldn't be getting paid. Mm. So the taxpayers are paying money to Ryan Tuberty and they shouldn't be paying him. Mm. Uh, another thing about all of that is RTE shuts down for the summer. And uh, a lot of these people who are on 200, 300, 400, 500, 550,000 euro, as the case may be, uh, take two or three months off. Michael, the really damaging thing about it was back, back Mike, when, when, when the pandemic came in, Mike, and the amount of people who took uh, wage cuts, uh, Ryan Tuberty was supposed to take 10 or 50% to get everybody else, and all of a sudden they discovered that he was getting this extra 75,000 a year. So instead of saying he was getting three or 400,000, he getting nearly 500,000. So something not right about OTE at the moment is, and I think it's very important, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a public uh, broadcaster. Uh, it's got a, it's, it's got, a, it's got a, a kind of an open market because, and also Michael. Then I have the reading the Independent. Like over the last ten years, they give over fifty million discounts to advertising every year. So the scene, the scene of the scene of a free world, they can do absolutely anything they want. Mm. And also, I was stated there yesterday there was uh, that like um, uh, for the last number of years, like there was a pending mainly on commercials. Mm. To have run now all of a sudden it used to be seventy five twenty five that that the money that the public was giving them was saying was twenty five percent of the running cost mm. of OTE. Now in the last number of years that has gone to maybe fifty fifty, and it just looks as though that that, that OTE is failing now to, to get people to advertise in OTE. So I think the situation yeah, well, it, OTE it, is going to get worse. And sorry, worse, and worse. sorry to cut across you. That fifty million that the Sunday Independent reported on uh, wasn't just discounts. Discounts, I suppose, uh, exist everywhere and they're fine uh, and. It's it's good business uh, and it's a negotiating tool to bring in more business and all of that sort of thing. But the discounts were given on the basis that they got the business that would have gone to Virgin Media or local radio or newspapers or competition. Uh, and uh, there was people making a lot of money out of this in the advertising agencies uh, because those discounts weren't passed on to the advertisers. The, adver- the advertising agencies were doing deals with RTE uh, and it was of no benefit to the people who were spending the money who may have got better bang for their buck uh, if they had spread the money out. Uh, and maybe they would have been advised to spread the money out because they'd have reached a higher audience by advertising elsewhere as well as RTE. Well, Michael, there's a lot of questions that OTE has to answer. I just hope today that that, uh, that the PAC can get more uh, response than we got there yesterday. Again, in fairness, I, I think the, the, the seven representatives from OTE I thought were very, very poor. Uh, every time you ask the question, they just said, uh, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. And as I said yesterday, was, these, are, these are top people in OTE. Like, I'm sure that these people are not getting 50 no. or 100,000 years. I'm sure these are well-paid people. But I just, I just can't understand the response that we got from them people yesterday. And I still believe that uh, Dee Forbes, uh, Director General of OTE, was thrown under the bus. If she wasn't thrown under the bus, I'll tell you one thing, she, she definitely had OTE by a fixed hand. Do you think Ryan Tuberty was thrown under the bus as well? Uh, I, I don't know if you can sack somebody who doesn't work for you, but it looks like his contract uh, will not be renewed, at least for some time. Well, I think, Michael, if you or me was in, in, in a situation and you see OTE stating that you're, you're earning so much a year and you're earning a lot more than that there, you do have an opportunity to come out and state that at the moment. 
I know Ryan Tubby says that all his accounts and all of showing exactly how much money he got from OTE and he maintains that it's not his problem that it's OTE. If OTE is under the cloud, how much mm-hmm. money they're paying him, it's nothing to do with him. He said that he's fully taxed for players and everything else and he's sitting back there at the moment and he, he, he's not saying too much there at the moment. Like he's okay. Ryan Tubby's getting paid but I think if OTE turn in tomorrow morning and stop paying him, would we see a different Ryan Tubby? Would we hear more complaints about OTE would be actually know more exactly what, what actually happened or what didn't happen. I just hope that, that Steve Forbes, I, if, I, if I was Steve Forbes and I felt that I was told under the bus by OTE, I'd definitely come out fighting. I just hope that she gets well soon and she can mm-hmm. write and gives her, the, 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 the public, the people who paid her wages since 2016 are entitled to know uh, the, the true facts and, and the, the executives in OTE are saying that the only person that knows the full facts is Steve Forbes. So I would hope that she would come out, either clear her name or tell the truth, and hope that the, the, the people of Ireland deserves to know exactly what happened. Okay, well, your committee put questions to RTE over a period of five hours yesterday. It's the turn of the Public Accounts Committee today. That will sit at half past one. Perhaps there will be some clarity following on from that. But thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today. Independent TD for Louth and East Mead. Peter Fitzpatrick is a member of the Media Committee. Michael Reed on LMFM. If you were listening to us yesterday, you may have heard that as we were finishing up uh, the programme just before 11 o'clock, I told you that uh, Belayden had said uh, that it regretted uh, to say that it had no choice but to proceed to uh, care and maintenance situation in Tara Mines resulting in the temporary layoff of 650 staff as already was planned. This followed discussions with the trade unions who had proposed a a number of cost-saving measures but it wouldn't result in sufficient savings uh, to see it through the current financial crisis. Let's uh, speak to John Regan, SIP2 sector organiser. A very good morning to you, John. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, I read that out just before 11 o'clock yesterday because an email had come to us from Belayden at a quarter to uh, 11. Uh, Can I ask you where you were at a quarter to 11? Well, that's part of the problem, uh, Michael, that has created uh, a very bad environment uh, for us to be working in with this management. Uh, We commenced uh, yesterday morning at 10 o'clock and within a few minutes, uh, some of the shop stewards were receiving emails in the room to say that um, the, the proposals made by the unions was not acceptable to the company and that they were going on with their care and maintenance programme. We hadn't, I think we had just received our document at that stage. Um, So the the announcement was made before the negotiations, the discussions had concluded. You were sitting with uh, the management of Belayden as this news went out to workers and media. That's it. All the workforce got it. The media then, that was followed up while we were still in the room. We didn't know it until we got out of the room that there was already a press release gone out to national media that uh, the, the company had rejected basically our proposals uh, and that they were, you know, steamrolling ahead with our uh, CNM uh, approach. So, yeah, it's very uh, difficult to work in them sort of circumstances. We made it known to the company as well that it was uh, purely against good industrial relations practice. It was very sloppy on their behalf. 
uh, and uh, it created an atmosphere that you know wasn't conducive to doing real business. Uh, they gave us a document, and really overnight and looking at the document of responses, it is uh, bearing in mind they had six days uh, to consider 62 points that the unions had put forward. We received uh, the vast majority of the answers to the 62 points was all to be considered um, and uh, no costings uh, on, on any of them points which we absolutely insisted had to be part of our uh, part of the response, hence the uh, length of time that the company was given to give a, a really, um, you know, a, a detailed response to us. So, you, you, don't uh, sound, you don't sound convinced that uh, your proposals were considered? No. Uh, well, we, we think they were considered, but they certainly didn't have to take six days to give us the reply that they've given us. And they're going to hear that this morning. We're on our way back in there this morning. Uh, And uh, very, very disappointed with regard to how they have just, um, you know, run over our document and, you know, the fate of complete in their head uh, that it has to be care and maintenance and nothing else is going to fit. Mm. Uh, And the layoffs will happen on the 14th of July. Is there any way of preventing that now? Well, look, at. by the look of this, not with management, whether uh, anything can be done through government circles, which we are um, talking to at the moment and hoping to get some further engagement with government uh, in the next day or two. Uh, but look, at, uh, it seems like, as I said, a fait accompli. The company doesn't want to see anything else really happen other than uh, care and maintenance. Uh, and they have a plan on that with regard to how that's going to operate that they haven't shared with us yet. Uh, I read that 40 workers will be kept on during that period. That's what they're um, looking at at the moment. We brought to their attention yesterday in 2001, it required 140 people uh, to remain uh, either uh, part-time or full-time, mining the mine, looking after the mine, uh, during the shutdown period, uh, the mine in 2001 would have been a lot, lot smaller than it is today. There would be a lot less machinery in there, and uh, 40 people is, you know, not a not a, an acceptable figure to us. But uh, we're hoping again to try and, um, you know, advance that issue this morning as well with them. Do you have any idea of how long people will be laid off for? No, and again, it's, uh, it's, it's again like 2001. Uh, that issue was never uh, really brought satisfactory to an end. There was two Labour court hearings in 2001 and, and another, there was one in 2001 and, and another one in 2002. Uh, and that issue was never really uh, brought out and, and, and dealt with other than the court kept uh, saying at the time that they were satisfied that the com- the company was trying to get it back into operation, uh, and it took six months. That's an so, awful long time, my God! Yeah, yeah, six months that time. And uh, uh, what, what if it's six weeks or six months? Um, I presume it wouldn't be any less than six weeks. Um, what are people going to do? Are, are they going to be reliant solely on welfare payments? Well, that's the part of why we're talking to the minister um, and 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 uh, government buildings uh, in relation to um, 
what are they going to bring and what, how are they going to assist this because the established uh, unemployment benefit is of no use to any worker today. It's not just the loan tower mines. Uh, other workers have been laid off in, in, you know, in, in, in uh, difficult times and um, the social welfare benefit is outdated. It's not in line with European um, ways of dealing with matters like this. And we'll be pressing upon the government to, uh, you know, step up to the mark and make uh, start making changes to what is required when workers are suddenly laid off. We've been calling since Cleary's for a change in legislation. This should not be happening. In actual fact, New Belyden, if they'd done this in Sweden, they'd be breaking laws. They can't pull the plug on unemployment in the same way as they can do it here. And, uh, you know, that's a real major concern. Multinationals, uh, there's a lot of them in this country. And um, we need new legislation to protect workers uh, that will uh, avoid uh, this sort of taxpayers uh, taking up um, the whole uh, back of employers walking away from workers. Mm. Just not acceptable anymore. How can the government support your members through this incredibly hard period uh, I imagine it's going to be harder for some than others there's uh, uh, obligations that people have and we all have our own obligations um, but when you lose your job and go from your salary down to whatever it is 200 and whatever euro a, a week uh, I mean you may not be able to pay your mortgage other bills uh, are, are due and all of that kind of thing how do you suggest the government can help with that? Well, look at the model that's uh, in place in some of the countries in Europe, which we are all uh, EU members of. Um, there is a percentage situation that applies. 60% of pay is applying in Germany. And um, that is a model that should happen here. It doesn't last indefinitely, but it lasts a lot longer than, uh, you know, uh, it, it would support families uh, and as you say, mortgages that has to be paid, day-to-day living has to be, you know, the, the social welfare benefit is not going to do that. Uh, the government has a real opportunity here to demonstrate to uh, the taxpayers and, and the general public here that they want to do something meaningfully. Uh, and the way to do that is uh, improve the whole package around layoffs and, uh, you know, uh, 60% of income would be a model that would, you know, go a long way into assisting and helping workers out. You can understand why the government would be very reluctant to go down that road because you can't single out one company or one set of workers. Yeah, and look, at, again, they're awash with money at the moment, so there is an ideal opportunity to do this, even on a pilot situation. Um but look, at, we're, we're looking down the road of uh, doomsday coming on the 14th of July. These workers uh, need the, the support, whether it's uh, in the fashion that we're talking about or indeed we're after all coming out of a, a pandemic, uh, uh, COVID, and there was a pup payment supplied, which uh, helped a lot of families and a lot of workers hmm. uh, through that period of time. That, that uh, system would, would help a lot of the workers in, in, in Tara Mines. And Belyden uh, has no... Obli- companies. 
Well, Aiden has no obligation to the workers. It's good luck well, to you. We have agreements. It? We have agreements that got us through 2001 and we brought them to their attention. There was more money um, uh, supplied to workers on layoff. And um, then when there was a callback situation, there was further allowances put in to people that didn't come back straight away. Uh, so there was a top up on social welfare and unemployment benefit by the company, who was Auto Compo at the time, would have been a Finnish company. Um, they actually done the decent thing enough. After you know pressure from ourselves and uh, a couple of court hearings, mm. uh, we managed to get them to put money into it. But we also got from the comp- from uh, Auto Compo that time um, uh, investment money because this company has said that they are uh, out of cash flow money at the moment. Mm. Um, They can't open up. Even if the mine uh, recovered reasonably quick, they still need investment from the parent company. And the parent company at this moment in time is sitting on their hands. They're not coming forward. Are you Um, considering a sit-in as things stand? Well, look at... We have told the company very, very clearly yesterday, many, many times, we are not leaving this mine until we get an agreement. And whatever is required to get that, we will do it. And the members out there and the workers out there are so angry and so annoyed about how this company and management are engaging with, our, with, with trade unions. Uh, I think anything can happen there with regard to making sure they come out of this with an agreement that uh, satisfies them through a period of no work. And more importantly, or as importantly, they have a job to return to and they have uh, pay and conditions protected, which is out, which has not been mentioned. This company is not preparing, um, you know, to put anything that reassures workers that this is temporary and that you have a job. There's nothing concrete there is dribble is what we've got from the management. Okay. John, we leave it there. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, we'll uh, await updates following on from today's meeting with uh, management. And thanks, as I say, for joining us today. That's John Regan, SIP2 Sector Organiser. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, Shannon Dublin9 says, Call a spade a spade. Dee Forbes didn't resign. She was sacked before she could sing like a parrot and bring the whole house down. Thanks for that, Sean. Someone else says, Fitzer hit the nail on the head. Why none of the other so called celebs didn't go for the gig? But Brendan Griffin was the best interrogator yesterday, says our caller. Great interview with Peter Fitzpatrick, says somebody else. Uh, question Why Ryan Turbury's salary details were revealed? revealed in the public domain. Why did Brian not speak up and say, hang on, those figures are wrong? Uh, Thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, We'd uh, text then from somebody who says, ah, poor Ryan Tuberty, what'll he do now? He may start spending some of his thousands. My blood is boiling over the outrageous amount of money that he was getting. It's just bloody disgraceful. That's Christine. Thanks, Christine. Uh, We've seen the misappropriation of funds in other organisations, but nobody gets punished as a Navin listener, they just walk away with big pensions. It's a joke that D Forbes could resign and walk away. What a disgrace. Ryan Turberty can't be taken seriously anymore. Time he moved on. Somebody else says D Forbes should not have been allowed to resign.
line until she was interviewed uh, and then sack her when it's all over. Thanks Mick for that text. Paddy Duffy says it appears to me that these top paid individuals in RTA and not just the top 10 have for years been on the gravy train and it's going on so long on exorbitant salaries they've come to expect at this stage. It's really offensive to ordinary citizens and it has to stop immediately says Paddy. Probably you wouldn't be aware but um, I am a postmaster myself and would be on a regular basis when working at home before I came to Leinster House and even I was working over the weekend where people pay the television licence um, and I know it is something that RT have been lobbying for it to be removed from on post and moved over to revenue to increase uh, the funding coming into the coming into RT basically um, I actually agree with increased funding but I think that funding should be across all media sectors both regional papers and regional radio as well and not just that the majority of it goes uh, to RTE. But I was working um, on a couple of days recently and one number of people came in and basically said we're not paying our television licence. And one gentleman actually said to me will I re- revolute Ryan or Renault the money? So do you fear as a board of directors and executive, executive committee the licence fee income take is going to take a serious nerve dive because of the actions of the management, which you are part of. What are your views on that going forward? I mean, again, it is I'd like to apologise to the public and to our staff about what's occurred here because and to the Oireachtas because it is a clear breach of corporate governance, lack of transparency. You know, the public are outraged about it. Staff are outraged about it. Oroctus is outraged about it. But what do we do? Revolut, Ryan or Renault? That was the question from Finnegale Senator Michal Karki. You were listening uh, to the response from uh, the acting DG, Adrian Lynch. Michael Reed on LMFM. Charlie wants to know why RTE can't be privatised immediately and all of uh, the state funding given to it removed. Then we'll see if it will sink or swim, Charlie says. He says we, the way things are with uh, the comfort of uh, the taxpayer footing the bill, the powers that be there seem to think they can operate with impunity. This cannot be allowed to continue. Remove their funding and let's see what they're made of. Thank you indeed Charlie Jerry believes it's time for a total revamp of RTE and how it's operated for too long they've been allowed to operate without being accountable to anyone it would appear they've created a real click culture where the chosen few have been dominating radio and television and being paid eye-watering salaries while the hard-working and dedicated employees on the standard wages have been keeping the place going it's disgusting thank you Jerry uh, for those strong thoughts some other comments on other issues uh, all this talk about RTE uh, someone texting saying not as much talk about us joining NATO smoke and mirrors says our caller maybe some truth in that Alan in touch saying what's going on in Navan the whole town is roadworks railway street shopping centre front and back of the square pulled up again for the third time it's a nightmare they might as well just close down the town at this stage she says and regrettably a local TD in County Mead, you know, took aim at me with regard to my Irish uh, and with regard to previous Fine Gael ministers for uh, the Irish language. 
And that really is a reason to be quite honest about it, that the language is in decline. If you have TDs and people who should know better when it comes to encouraging people in Irish, taking aim at them and, and lampooning them, criticising them and mocking them, uh, then it sends out a signal to other people who might like to use the Irish language, well, you know, I, I, I probably wouldn't be able to do it because people will laugh at it. Mm. Those are the people, I believe, that can stand up and take the greatest amount of credit in this country for the decline in the Irish language. Mm. And, he, and he should take responsibility for his actions in that space. That's the Minister for the Gael Talks, Patrick O'Donovan, speaking to me yesterday. If he's as anxious as he says he is for the future of the Irish mm. language, he should stand in front of the mirror and maybe he'd find the reason by the language to some degree has deteriorated because people that are mocked are lampooned for the effort that they make in Irish uh, are, are the very people whose winning, whose confidence is eroded by people like that. Minister O'Donovan was speaking about Aintu's Patricio Bean, who has insulted the minister over his poor Irish. But it shouldn't be the preserve of native Irish speakers to be member, to be ministers for the Irish language. Mm. This language is as much my heritage as it is much the people who claim to be fluent in it. Okay. Uh, and it, it should not be in any way the preserve of, a, of people to say that because somebody's language uh, proficiency isn't what it should be, that's no reason to say that they shouldn't be minister for the language. At least demonstrate that they're trying, like parents of children yeah. all over the country, mm. struggling with the language, that those of us in politics can okay. struggle with the language as well. Patrick Tobin obviously insulted you, uh, and we'll ask him... Uh, not only me, but everybody, yeah, every, okay, every uh, former uh, minister uh, for debate. Uh, uh, all right, that's uh, Patrick O'Donovan speaking to us uh, yesterday. Patrick Tobin is on the line. You insulted uh, the minister, Patrick Tobin. Do you accept that, uh, and uh, uh, what do you have to say in response? Well, it's hard to know whether to take Patrick O'Donovan seriously at times, and that's the God. He sounded very hurt. Yeah. Well, I'll give him a hug the next time I see him there, and I'll be honest with you, and uh, maybe he'll be better. He'll feel better after that. Um, you know, the Irish language is a beautiful language, and it is belong to every single one of us. It's in our own names. It's in the, the, the names of the towns and villages that we live in, and it's also the store of wonderful heritage, language, um, stories, literature, and music as well. And in many ways, it's a magic door that if people get a chance to learn it, they have access to all of these jewels. Uh, cultural jewels that are part of, of who we are. I would come from the, probably the school of thought that if you're going to be made a minister for something that you should have an, a competency uh, in it. So in other words, if you're to be minister of finance, you should really have some competency uh, in accountancy or, or numbers or figures. If you're going to be minister for justice, you should be aware of the law uh, and have a, a, a qualification in, in that area as well. And it's just Fine Gael have been struggling to get ministers who can speak Irish uh, over the last number of years because there hasn't been a very strong Irish language instinct uh, amongst Fine Gael uh, at parliamentary level uh, over the last 20 years, unfortunately. Um, so they have selected mm. two individuals. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. ...without Irish to be the Minister for the Gaelic. Now, when you're the Minister for the Gaelic, you have to go into the middle of the Gaelic. You have to speak to uh, Irish, pe- Irish language speakers. You have to deal with all the Irish language organizations. And when, when your objective as, as a government is to increase the level of Irish spoken, and yet your minister can only speak in English to uh, different organizations, that isn't enough of a competency. It's not enough of a qualification uh, to be selected for the role. Now, you know, they talk about the, the, the uh, Irish language and the, the strength of it over the last number of years. The reason it's not strong is because the government, Fine Gael especially, haven't really had an interest uh, in making sure that it has a proper support. So right now, about 25% of parents across the country want Gael school education for their children. And and many of those parents can speak Irish. Well, many of those parents won't be able to speak Irish, but Mm. But not having Irish is not a qualification. What about the point that Patrick O'Donovan was making, that you're putting all of those down, that you're undermining people's confidence who have a little bit of Irish, and when you undermine confidence, well, that people stop trying uh, because they feel they'll be laughed at. Uh, I think the minister... Uh, felt that way, said you insulted him and everybody else like him? Well, first of all, I didn't. Um, I insulted only the uh, government ministers and with due cause. Um, I absolutely believe that as far as Gael Gabrishta, no Berla So in other words, broken Irish is far better than uh, smart English. And there's only one way you can learn, you can learn Irish to speak it is to actually make mistakes. So you know, the, if, there's no point in having an interest in the Irish language if you're not going to speak it, and there's no way of learning to speak it without making mistakes. Mm. So absolutely, people should be conscious that if they really want to learn it, they have to be able to be able to make mistakes. And what about Joe McHugh, the other minister uh, well, who took up the post uh, without Irish? Uh, uh, he, he became quite proficient, didn't he? Well, just, I want to just make this point, first of all, and you, you, you jumped in on me before I got to finish. Okay, sure. 25% of parents want to send their kids to a girls' school but only 6% of parents can actually find a Gale school for their needs. Most schools now are finding it difference to get, difficult to get teachers with the Irish uh, language to be able to teach in schools. In the Gaeltucks, Uderos na Gaeltuck has its funds radically cut by Fine Gael over the years. It is a, a jobs organisation like the IDA and like Enterprise Ireland, yet it has had the most cuts of any jobs organisation in the country. TG Cahar gets far less money than its Welsh uh, counterpart, uh, for example. So the whole area of the Irish language is, is, is treated like a, a kind of a token issue for Fine Gael. They're not serious about it. And selecting a minister without the qualifications or the ability or really the interest in it shows that they're not serious about it. And that's the problem here. We need to have people who are invested in the issue, who are immersed in the issue, who love the, the, the language so much that by the time they get mm. to want to become a minister, they know how to speak it properly. And, okay. you know, absolutely. I think it's wonderful that Patrick is learning to speak Irish. Well, for the third time, 
for the third. I mean, he, I, I said to him yesterday, he was refreshingly honest uh, about yeah. uh, his grasp of uh, the language. He said he learned it in school, forgot it, went to college, forgot it, and now he, he's back learning it uh, again. The same with myself, Michael. I, I, I forgot all my Irish uh, after secondary school, and I went down to the Railtux in Dune Queen in Kerry, and I ordered uh, a meal in a restaurant uh, in Irish, and I made a complete idiot of myself because I just couldn't get the words together. So what I did is I simply bought a book, um, and I read a page of it a day until the words start coming back to me. I spent a little bit of time listening to Radio in the Gael Sukta. I joined an Irish-speaking group in uh, Paddy Fitzsimons' in Navin, uh, and I made an effort to use whatever little bit I had. And then, little by little, it comes back. And the funny thing is, it is in your head, and it's in most people's heads. And all I, w- I really encourage people to make an effort in doing so. But in terms of ministers, I just think that the idea of uh, selecting a minister for health who knows very little about health or selecting you know, a minister for agriculture who knows very little about agriculture is just not good enough. We need people who have a competency, a skill, an interest, and a knowledge. And Patrick and Joe have had that when they were selected. Now, the fact that they have come on great in Irish is great, but the position of minister for Gaeltacht is not some kind of grind school for the Irish language. It's not something kind of like, you're not saying like, you know, we're, we're going to learn it while we're on the job. Imagine you going to a job interview uh, or anybody going for a job interview and say, listen, I don't really know what the job's about, but I learn it when I'm on the job. You know, most employers will go, well, actually, we want somebody who's had an interest in it to actually learn the content of the job before they start. And, and there's so much more we can do. Like, for example, the best way to develop the Irish language is to make sure that uh, parents are able to raise their own kids in the Irish language. But yet, when most families go and engage with, you know, the state, with doctors, with hospitals, uh, even with, let's say, revenue, with the Department of Social Welfare, with the Gardaí, all the elements of the state, they're all forced to speak English. And oftentimes we hear this uh, story about, you know, people are forcing the Irish language down the throats of individuals. The reality is far more people want to use the Irish language uh, in this country, and they can't because the state is actually forcing English uh, on them in every way. And the reason they're doing that is because Fianna Gael and government have refused to provide the necessary investments to make sure that Irish is, is available to them. Okay. We, have a wonderf- we have a wonderful Gaeltax in, in Rathcarn with a with brilliant school mm. in Rathcarn. It's the only Gaeltax in the east coast uh, of Ireland with, with Bolly Gibb. And, you know, we don't make enough of that. Uh, we need, I, I believe, the government should be actually building a housing estate in, in, in that Gaeltax so that people who are raising their families in Irish and in Dublin... OK, well, people listening yesterday will remember that the minister was visiting Rathcarn when he was uh, speaking to us. Uh, no remorse, obviously. Uh, I'm not sure that the minister will hug you back if you do actually get to <laughs> hug him. But uh, let me just ask you, right. if I can, right. about uh, the story that's overshadowing everything. Uh, because you called the other day on Ryan Tuberty to return the money. What money? Uh, is it the 345000 or however many... Uh, €75,000 payments he received. Yeah, we, I think that the, the €345,000 at this stage uh, should be returned. Um, I just think that um, the um, RTE have been absolutely remiss in this. Yesterday, they, 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 they delivered a statement which said that only the Forbes was in possession of all in the, of the information. There's absolutely no way that any decent organisation can run itself by allowing for just one individual be in possession of all of the information. And anybody who allows that scenario to exist should not be in their position. And, you know, the problem with the board. This country is... 
Well, I, I actually, the executive board, the fact that the executive board working in charge of this and, and in possession of all of this information is absolutely a reason to say that they're, they're not competent in fulfilling their role. Uh, and, you know, unless the government gets... You want to clear the decks then, do you? Well, I, I don't believe that a person who is on a board of an organisation that's not in charge of the information is fit to be on that board. You have people listening to, to your show who are on boards mm. of the local schools, of their local football clubs, of, the, yeah. of charities... And they're expected to know exactly what's happening. Or that the commercial director is writing checks and she doesn't know what they're for, but thinks that's okay to do that because the director general asked her to do it. And then we have an organisation like, you know, nearly half a billion euros uh, revenue on on an annual basis. And nobody seems to, only one person seems to have known what's going on in in the organisation. And and, and my worry in this is that, you know, there's a big kerfuffle, there's a big row, you know, and then things die down and, and nobody's held to account. Nobody loses their job. And as a result, we, we go and, you know, there's nothing learned. There's, there's no accountability. And that's the real worry here, that mm-hmm. after the, the media circus is, is gone, that things will remain just the same as they are. I think now is the time to actually redefine what the role of RTE is in, RTE is in Irish society. Uh, we need to make sure, you know, RTE was designed, you know, before the time of the Internet, before the time of social media, um, it has a confused role in terms of commercial role and public service role. All that needs to be worked out uh, now, and we need to make sure that we actually come out with a service that's fit for purpose uh, in, uh, in, in in our generation. All right, we leave there. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us here this morning. Uh, that is uh, the leader and founder of AIN2, Peter Tobin, who's a TD from Eid West. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, Cahill Mornington wonders if people stop listening to RTE, would the advertisers pull their funding and the listening figures drop? Might be one way to hit them in the pocket and cut the wages of the egotistical so-called stars, says Cahill in Mornington. It certainly would be, uh, and uh, not one uh, I hope uh, people will do, Cahill, because the result of that would be that ordinary, hard-working, decent people on normal salaries living in the real world may lose their jobs as a a result of that and I think that's one of uh, the fears uh, that people would have at this stage but certainly is a a debacle and a scandal for the Golden Circle who have been on the gravy train and there is no doubt about that and how that gravy train has been operating has been on a nod and a wink hush hush say no more until now, it seems. Uh, we'll hear a little bit more about it now because we'll hear a little bit of uh, the interaction that took place yesterday between local Sinn Féin TD, Imelda Munster, and uh, the commercial director, Geraldine O'Leary. D Forbes had said that the reason for setting up the commercial top-up with Ryan Tuberty was to retain his services, but she never explained um, why there was a need to hide them in the accounts, hide those payments in the accounts. So I suppose my first... Um, person I'd like to just ask a few questions of would be the commercial director, uh, Miss O'Leary. You had full knowledge of the secret deal when you were asked to raise the invoices and the the commercial top-up that was going to be hidden in the accounts. And you negotiated the Renault side deal. You were the person who agreed with Ryan Turberty's agent that the invoices would be paid through the barter account. And you actually organised those payments through the barter account. Why, can I ask? Well, the first thing I'd like to say to the room is that I'm here to answer any questions I can in relation to my involvement here, and I commit to doing so honestly and truthfully. Um, I think, if I may, I would just like to give the context. Um, well, no, I'd just like you to time is of the essence okay, here. Well, so why well, was... What I would like to say is that I, I was not involved in the construction of the commercial deal. 
I was not in the room, I was not part of the negotiations. When the negotiations had been done, I was advised by the then CFO and the Director General that there was a commercial element being introduced to this multi-annual talent deal. This was the first time anything like this had come to me, but I was not in the room, I did not construct the deal. What I was asked to do was to find a way, firstly with, with the commercial partner, to see um, whether we could restructure the existing deal with them, and that uh, I, on instruction, I represented to the commercial partner. Uh, and at that stage, was it, it was yourself that agreed that the invoices would be paid through the barter account? No, no, no. no. So you didn't? No, that, that's separate, uh, Deputy. So in year one, um, the, uh, the sponsorship deal was restructured, and three, and the talent We're was, talking year two and three. Year two, the payments year, year, year and two, two and three had nothing to do with Renault. It's important. No. Yeah. The payments I'm talking yes, about, year 150 two payments, 150,000 payments. Yeah, so year two... Did you agree with Ryan Turbridge's agent that they would be paid through the barter account, is my question. In year, in year two, I had no involvement, there was no payment, and in year three, I was advised by the Director General that there was pressure to pay, there was outstanding amounts. I didn't at the time understand, understand that they were underwritten by RTE, and I was asked to... Uh, liaise with Noel Kelly management to raise to raise the invoices to the barter account. To yes, the barter account. Yes, you were asked by D Forbes. Yes, I was. You didn't raise raise concerns about that as the director. Well, I it, I what I understood and what has come out in the Grand Thornton report is that there wasn't a budget available elsewhere. This money is linked to commercial campaigns, therefore uh, sits primarily in the commercial department, and she she asked she wanted to use that account. Okay, was it yourself um, who advocated that those payments be made are listed as consultancy fees? That that is a question, deputy, that I cannot answer because I cannot remember the precise detail. What I remember most of all, you'd have notes, surely, would you not? Uh, what, no, what I remember most of all in early 2020 was the urgency, 21, 22, sorry, apologies, was the urgency to raise these invoices, um, and that was what I remember. So you remember the urgency, but I mean, that's that's not a small matter to, to have those payments come under consultancy fees. I mean, many would say that that's misleading, it's an accurate accountant, accountancy, even fraudulent accountancy. Many would be of the opinion that to, you know, to put it under... Um, consultancy fees. I mean, how could you forget something like that? No, I'm not saying I... I, I you can't I, remember. How could you I not remember, remember something I can't, like I can't that? remember the detail of the wording of the invoices, and I've said that consistently. But whoever processed those invoices mm -hmm. and put them through their barter account as consultancy fees, that would have been yourself. That would have been my office. That's right. Yes. So you're that right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, that is uh, the commercial uh, director in RTE, uh, Geraldine Riley, speaking uh, to Imelda Munster, who was uh, Geraldine O'Leary, who is speaking to Imelda Munster, who was putting uh, those uh, questions to her local Sinn Fein TD. Now, Fianna Fáil Senator uh, Shane Castles uh, also had some very interesting questions to put to the RTE executives. Why would the payments to Mr. Tuberty? Um, anonymised as consultancy fees uh, in the barter account, and is, is that a breach of accountancy rules? I've looked at the Grant Thornton um, investigation into these payments, <coughs> and um, uh, within that, it's not identified uh, who um, initiated this idea of consultancy, consultancy services. That's not uh, clear or identified. Okay, well, let's let's get down to the influence of third-party agents in RTE. 
and the construction of deals because the, the influence of one man who seems to have had more power than anyone else at the negotiating table, uh, the real DG as he was nicknamed. On the 19th of December 2019, we have for the first time the references to the facilitation of this tripartite deal. 19th of December, so Santi comes six days early for the boys. Why were RTE so afraid of a presenter and his agent? And had you seen evidence of a higher offer? Was there someone else in this small Irish media market promising to pay him over a half a million euro? That one man was able to command effectively pay increases when everyone else was taking a decrease. Yeah, so I never, I wasn't involved in these negotiations, so I was aware of the sum of money. Um, if a commercial partner could be found. Okay, but my question is, in terms of the influence of third-party agents within RTE, the ordinary rank and file, yeah. when I saw the journalists that were assembled yesterday on the steps of Montrose, reporters, researchers, who spoke, yeah. spoke about freelancers, who wouldn't be even on a fraction of what the top-up money that this man was on. I'm on about the influence of agents that can, can negotiate deals in a, in a tiny Irish media market yeah. worth in excess of half a million. Yeah, I think, again, when you look at, and I've reviewed some of the correspondence around this, uh, the agent was particularly focused on getting a guarantee, uh, which uh, <coughs> there is no record that outside of the verbal agreement that this was provided, and the legal position was it shouldn't be provided. Is there a, is there a monopoly there with, with, with Mr. Kelly in terms of negotiating deals involving taxpayers' money? Is there any, in terms of the, the impact of this within RTE? Uh, again, I would say, I mean, you know, each, each uh, person who's represented by Mr. Kelly has a right, you know, to represent uh, representation if they so wish. So, as an agent, he is going to uh, derive the best bargain he can get for his clients. The RT statement yesterday is obviously based on a trail of documents over the last few months on documents and emails that were discoverable. But can you guarantee me, Mr Lynch, that you were never part of a conversation, a verbal exchange, a chat in the corridor with D Forbes or others regarding this side deal? that allowed Ryan Tuberty's sponsorship deal be underwritten by RTE? 100%. And in terms of those, because obviously you have stated that it was a verbal arrangement, have you made inquiries? Because obviously the suspension of D Forbes last week has, has uh, removed one person from that process. Yeah, correct. Uh, Shuan, may I ask you in respect of the suspension of D Forbes, did you have a conversation with her before that suspension? Um, yeah, of course. Okay, and so in terms of setting out to her why she was being suspended, can you tell me what you said to her in that respect? Well, a letter, a formal letter went out to her. Indeed. From... You can appreciate that the suspension of that person has removed the one witness as well, effectively, from, uh, um, from this process and trying to find out what has happened, because the RT statement yesterday is obviously squarely putting the blame on one person. Well, actually, the suspension was whilst um, a disciplinary procedure was happening. So it, it, it's, it's the resignation that puts her outside of this. So they, there was a process in train 
up until the point of her resignation. On Monday, there was a process in train where it was put to her what was wrong here, and the process was had started in relation to engaging. We had set up a third party intermediary um, to run that. We had set up also a subcommittee of the board specifically to deal with with this uh, disciplinary procedure. Okay, uh, Mr. Lynch. Um, this morning uh, we heard that Ryan Tuberty is out of contract something which he has actually since uh, rejected uh, and that new contract negotiations are now paused. Um, is Ryan Tuberty going to be back on the air in RTE? Um, at the moment, obviously, for editorial reasons, uh, it's impossible for Ryan Tuberty to be back on air. And do you envisage him coming back on air uh, in the long term? Again, I would just say for editorial reasons, uh, he is not on air at the moment. That's Adrian Lynch, acting DJ of RTA, and it's uh, Chair Shuan Ni Rahali responding to questions from Fianna Fáil, Senator Shane Castles, John Andrade. Apologies to you. A lot of coverage on the programme and everywhere else. John called us to say, will you get on with it and cover urgent issues, issues that matter to people? He says, why are you wasting your time talking about Ryan Tuberty and the huge amounts of money given to him by RTE? John is a pensioner and he had to pay €3,000 for a stair, for a chairlift, a bigger burden. He, he couldn't get a, a grant because there were no grants available because there's no money left to give grants to people. So he paid €3,000 to get a stair chairlift, one of these chairlifts that bring you upstairs. Uh, and he had to save in order to get that uh, €3,000 together. Uh, the hardworking people working in this country every day pay their taxes and they should be looked after better. Thank you, John. Just um, uh, some food for thought. Uh, maybe there would have been money available to give you a, a grant uh, if it hadn't been spent on something else. Uh, and just to mention that RTE gets 56 million euro in funding from the state. Maybe that could have gone some way to pay the 3,000 euro for your stairlift. Um, that 56 million euro is spent by RTE and we're discovering today how it's spending it. And I think that's why people are talking about it. It's not because of RTE and all of uh, the stuff that goes with it. It's the money that people are on a gravy train with money that is coming out of your pocket or meaning that you have to come up with money because it's not available to you. Thanks for your call to the programme. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now yesterday the Rural Independent Group of uh, TDs called on the government to categorically once and for all declare that they will not pursue a compulsory or voluntary cull of the national herd with no introduction of any caps on Irish dairy cow or beef numbers. The recent decision by the Minister of Agriculture in Ireland to establish a co-cull committee within his department with the intention of culling hundreds of thousands of dairy cows in the name of climate change has sparked widespread concern and condemnation. Farmers, rural communities and even media outlets from across the globe, including countries such as India, Canada, the US, Australia, Mexico and the UK, France and Germany, among others, have expressed uh, incredulity at such a policy proposal. As a matter of fact, I was looking to channels the other night and the US channel, they were in stitches at what Ireland was proposing. 
the Irish government against their own Irish farmers. They couldn't understand it. They were in stitches laughing. Uh, uh, many experts argue that the culling of Irish dairy cows will have absolutely no impact whatsoever on global greenhouse gas emissions, while posing significant risks to farmers' livelihoods and rural communities. The call to reconsider these government policies has grown louder as other countries increase their own cow herds, thereby undermining any potential global benefits. It is increasingly evident that such measures urgently need to be shelved and halted immediately. Hey, that's uh, Michael Collins, Independent TD. By the way, the government said, yep, yeah, OK, sure, we were never going to cull the national herd anyway. Uh, let's speak uh, to Eddie Punch, General Secretary of the ICSA. Good morning to you, Eddie, and thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, do you think that was scaremongering? Uh, Michael Collins was accused by a number of TDs of scaremongering in the Dáil yesterday. Um, I think, good morning, Michael, and I think um, we need common sense to be brought back into this debate right now. Uh, You know, one of the issues, one of the biggest reasons to be concerned about climate change is the potential for drought, maybe flooding, big drought. You're on a mobile, I think, Eddie. Um, Yeah. Eddie, I'm sorry, we're, you're breaking up terribly. Um, uh, not sure. We'll try to come back to you. Uh, maybe you can improve on that line and we'll try to come back to you. Um, but uh, there was no doubt uh, that there was concern at uh, what was uh, being proposed by the independent TDs. Uh, there was a, an option, uh, I think, uh, in a paper from the ESRI to reduce national herd numbers as a, a way of uh, impacting on uh, climate change and reducing carbon emissions. But I don't think anybody ever was talking about going around and shooting cows in the head and then burning the carcasses. Uh, There was strong reaction, uh, not just from the government, uh, which dismissed the claim being made by the rural independents, but also from opposition. Honesty is key in this debate. It's no wonder farmers are are afraid of what might happen to their family farms and their businesses because the rural independents are failing to be honest with them. Scaremongering about culls is not honest. There's no proposed cull on cattle. It's cynical political fiction designed to ramp up fear and drum up votes. And I'm not sure what a voluntary cull is, but the motion speaks of 200,000 dairy cows being culled. That indeed would be a shocking sight and a shocking policy if it was true. No amount of anger, conspiracy theories, or mixing up the idea of a slaughter with the idea of reduction over time makes it true. There is very much to be angry about, but yet again, these deputies prefer to get angry about an imaginary policy and ignore the real dangers to urban and to rural Ireland. Right, so there we've uh, Breed Smith of uh, People Before Profit and uh, the leader of uh, the Social Democrats, Holly Kearns, both uh, saying uh, that uh, the rural independents are living in some sort of imaginary fantasy, conspiracy land, thinking uh, that uh, government agents are going to go around and shoot cows in the head and burn their carcasses. Never was the plan. Uh, I think we've Eddie Punch back on the line. Hopefully the line has improved at this stage. It really was like shooting yourself in the foot yesterday. Bad move by the rural independents, wasn't it? Well, I think, Michael, um, there is no doubt that there is a a very strong lobby to reduce the amount of animal agriculture in Ireland and across Europe. There was a report produced by um, academics earlier this year that said we'd eventually have to have 
one third less uh, bovines in this country uh, by 2040 or 50. Um, the fact is that there are constant arguments demanding that you know we reach uh, targets in reducing emissions, and there is a strong lobby to say that that involves reducing the national herd, mm. even though the national herd has been remarkably stable. The statistics from the CSO show... But the case that was being presented by the Rural Independence is uh, that uh, people working for the OPW or God knows were going to go around and shoot cattle in the head and burn the carcasses. I don't think anybody was making that case, but it is true. Well, that's, what a, call would in, that's what a call would involve, isn't it? No, but but it is true that the food vision uh, oh, of course, yeah, because the food vision discussions proposed that we would pay people to get out of suckler cows and to get out of dairy cows or to reduce their herds. That's, that's not a call, but, but but it's a reduction, and and it's, I mean, it's a, exactly it's a reduction. It's it, not it, a call. Yeah, yeah, but 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 it doesn't matter. The point okay. is, uh, is it sensible to reduce our output of dairy, beef, lamb? In a world where climate change suggests that there will be more problems with drought in continental Europe and North America, and the ability to feed the world is likely to be compromised if climate change, you know, and, and even, even if we do all of the things we, we want to do in climate change, the fact is that weather patterns are leading regardless to, to more drought. So in that scenario, and if you believe... How, how, change, how, how, how do you mean regardless? Regardless of, of, of how much success we have in reducing emissions, weather patterns have already uh, baked in more drought. That's, that's already happening. So we, we throw up our arms? Year. No, we don't cut back food. Food production is the point. And in a country like Ireland, and the sober analysis in Ireland from Met Aaron is that we may be prone to a little bit more drought and we may be prone to more rainfall, but the effects of climate change won't stop us from producing dairy and beef in this country and it makes no sense if you're concerned about climate change to say a logical solution is to cut our production here in Ireland and further damage food security. Uh, and, or, uh, and you don't or, accept if we don't that we'll have more droughts and we'll have more floods and we'll have more displacement of people across the world. Well, for example, if we cut our national herd and they increase the herd in Brazil, for example, no, no, no. What, what does that achieve, right? And the reality is that we need win-win solutions that get the balance right between reducing our emissions and remember as well, of course, that... So two, so two wrongs make a right? No, it's not two wrongs. It's about... You're, well, you're saying... Win, well, what's win, the Brazilian, win, what's the Brazilian no, point? The Brazilian point is that... The impact on climate change at a global level is, is absolutely dependent on global decisions. So if we reduce the amount of fossil fuels burned, that can help. If we reduce the herd size in Ireland and increase it somewhere else, that will have zero impact, zero impact on reducing emissions. In fact, it could theoretically and perversely, carbon leakage, result in an increase in, in emissions on a global level. So you're uh, saying that if you increase the Brazilian herd, uh, we should at least maintain uh, the herd numbers here if not increase them? We, what we should do in Ireland first 
is look at what we can do to be more sustainable in terms of, and remember, farmers also sequester carbon, which never gets discussed in this. But the fact is, we've had a stable herd. In 1973, when we joined the EU, we had 7.3 million national herd. Today, it's 7.4 million, up or down, give or take 5% over that 50-year period. In the same time, world population has almost doubled, and they all have to be fed. So we shouldn't lose completely lose the plot and go reducing our ability to produce high-quality beef, dairy and lamb for European or international markets at a time when food security is going to be a bigger and bigger issue. That's a common-sense and balanced approach. And every farmer I know is actively involved in trying to be more sustainable all the time. We have a big reduction in fertiliser use in the last two years. We have a switch to protect the urea. And we also, of course, have to have correct metrics. And the fact is that we are using international metrics. And Chagas Research now is starting to suggest that our grass-fed cows have lower emissions than the international figures we are working off are suggesting. And we need to have accuracy in that as well. Okay, and you're you're, you're opposed as well to the EU nature restoration uh, bill. Are are you buoyed up at uh, the rejection by the Environment Committee uh, the day before yesterday? Well, I think, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a lot of discussion about the democratic deficit in the European Union. And during the pandemic, and this nature restoration is a classic example, it came from nowhere out of the European Commission with minimal consultation with the stakeholders on the ground. And I think it is time for the European Commission to realise they can't rule all of Europe by diktat. We have a European Parliament, well, we had three European Parliament committees who have looked at this, the agriculture one, the fisheries one, they both rejected it out of hand. And the Environment Committee, which you thought would have been very much in favour of it, have also failed to agree a position on it. And I think that means one thing, that the European Commission has got this wrong and badly wrong because Mm. it hasn't... Or that the EPP are worried about the elections. Yes, because the citizens of Europe are not buying into, is it logical to flood land, to put farms out of business? And again, in terms of metrics, uh, in in the last week we've had Chagas research uh, indicating what we knew all along. The, the, The metrics they're using to calculate emissions from reclaimed peatland at nine megatons for Ireland are badly, badly wrong. And the Chagas research is now suggesting the emissions are less than half. So we can't be putting farm families out of business, completely ignoring, um, consulting and listening to the people on the ground uh, on the basis of, frankly, wrong metrics. Okay, Eddie, I've run out of time. I have to leave it there, but thank you indeed for your time and taking the time to speak to us uh, this morning. That's Eddie Punch, who is the General Secretary of the ICSA. Michael Reed on LMFM. Thank you very much indeed, Jackie, for your WhatsApp message. Listening to the chairperson of RTE on the programme today at the committee yesterday, saying it wasn't the suspension that put D Forbes, the DG, outside the scope of the Oireachtas, it was her resignation. Then later yesterday in that inquiry, the same chairperson admits she asked the DG to resign. So complete obstruction of justice. It's disgusting. And Jackie says it's a shame that we aren't talking more about nature and the individuals involved in that peace at all costs comes first. Thanks indeed, Jackie, for your message. Eamon in Dunleer says, Michael, if one 
a farmer agreed to cull one of his herd, the farmer himself should be called. Farmers really need to stand together for this one. I've never heard such crap in all my time. Betty Daly says, good morning, Michael. Speaking about fluent Irish, they all have mina bug knowledge in the capacity they're in. None of them know nothing about everything. What did Padder want to be when he left school? Oh, I wish I hadn't asked that. <laughs> I'll have to ask him someday. Betty, thanks uh, for your message. Noel in RD in touch. His blood is boiling listening to the talk about Ryan Tuberty and RTE's mismanagement of state funding. Noel asks, why are you so surprised about this, Michael? What else would you expect? You see what goes on in this country and it goes on every day. Noel says he used to be proud to be Irish, but not anymore because there's white collar crime happening on a daily basis. Nobody's trying to stop it. The country is being run into the ground because of corruption. Thank you, Noel, for your text. We'll hear another contribution or another piece of interaction with RTE, this time from Independent TD, Matty McGrath now. So why did you accept the resignation? The resignation, I accepted it. She made it public at the same time as I was made aware of it. Sorry? She made it public the same time as I was made aware of it. But you could have refused it. The board could have refused her. Yeah, but You're in the middle of a process. The process had barely started. You'd you'd, um, implied outside agents, I understand for you, to, to, to oversee that process. What value were they, what did they cost you? What value were they to you? If this is what happened, the thing was just cut dead at the, at the card. Well, it, it, it was a decision that was taken. It, it, there, there was a process in train, as I said earlier, in terms of having invited her to participate with an intermediary uh, earlier this week. And, <coughs> excuse me, it didn't appear that that was going to happen. And, um, and, uh, yeah, that was the decision that was taken by the board. That was another disastrous decision, in my opinion, uh, because how were we going to get any answers? Either there was some uh, radio up here and she exited it, and with all the evidence, this is shocking. And that's why I called you see, for a gathering investigation, and that's going to be needed. At the incumbent, disrespect to any of you here today, but that's what's needed, because the public have lost all respect and, and, and fairness. You mentioned the 50-50-20, like something you have in the lot or, or, or the ball, lighty bones. Lighty to whom? Lighty to what? I mean, people out there were struggling, and are struggling, in the middle of the pandemic, which he overwhelmingly uh, promoted and frightened a lot of people, but that's not for today. I had never Miss Forbes here before. And why, why did, like, who, who lighty to whom? Who we lighty to? No allegations of any criminal wrongdoing, okay? Just want to make that point. I didn't say that. I said, well, I know, again, I'm, investigation. I'm just making that point, or allegations. But your money is done. All right. Public taxpayers' money. Why are we here? Well, then, Please, okay. no, you didn't interrupt anyone. I didn't accuse anyone. I, I'm asking that, for. That's good. I'm asking for the first word. I did that yesterday, yeah. and I continue with that because nothing else. We're not going to get the answers here today. Okay. And who's to respond? Who do you want to respond to your question? Whoever likes to. Adrian? What is the question? Question: <laughs> Who are you lying to? Quite simple. Who am I lying to? The board. I mean, you've allowed this scenario to allow the Forbes in, in, in racing parallels out under the traps and gone. Gone with the wind to play. This is shocking. And you expect us to listen to this. He couldn't answer why he accepted her resignation. <laughs> like, I'm an employer myself, and I understand how uh, difficult situations can be as regards disciplinary proceedings, but... 
You don't allow someone cut them off at the unbeatable call just because it suits everyone. And that's what's happening. Who are you lying to? Uh, I'm sorry, I do Expires the government, the, the people who paid the licenses. I'd love to see some of the license fee peers who are being prosecuted and put in imprisonment getting these kind of chances and having sweet deals and having a 50, 50, 20. It's <laughs> just laughable. So, I mean, you have to come up with some answers, please. Who are you lying to? Who are you serving? Public service broadcasting and you have ads out there to truth and truth by art. My goodness. And this going on, you tell me you joined the board yourself, um, assistant DGO, um, um, and you said you didn't know any of this. You just came in at a crevice and you went along with the system. You <coughs> must remember, our representatives were getting 900,000 when I came into this house, when I asked questions in 2007, and like that was around 2010. So this culture is long uh, uh, practice, long existing practice. So as you probably knew when you joined the board of the culture, so you don't ask any questions. You just go around with uh, Is that what happens? In terms of, I mean, I think what's happened here, as I said, is a clear breach of corporate governance, lack of transparency, reputationally damaging. It's not related to RT's editorial output, not related to any of the staff who work in RTE. Um, so. But it doesn't deal with the culture. I mean, it's all grand now because you've been found out. There you have it. That's Independent TD. Matty McGrath putting uh, some questions uh, to the RTE executives who go before the Public Accounts Committee today at half past one. That's our programme for today. Megan McGuire Research. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie